The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We love your word. We are so thankful uh, that you would speak to us. Thankful for uh, a scripture that just lays it out in such bare, bald, uh, real life ways as to show us that we are uh, not alone and we, uh, we are not alone in needing a Savior. It's not a, a list of um, high and mighty people uh, to which we are to ascribe, but um, a declaration that you came for sinful and broken people. And so, Father, we just uh, rest in that good truth and we ask that you would open your word to us tonight. Uh, give us wisdom and give us faith. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, what this has been really educational for me. I hope it has been for you. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it is, I will tell you this, uh, it is an awful lot uh, to, to do this class and then to do a sermon and to do a, a records form. So, I'm going to. Uh, I think I've said this before. We're actually not going to have uh, Wednesday nights in the in the spring, except for um, except for Lent, in which I, I will not be leading that. Uh, I will be leading Rector's Forum, so Bible study. Please come to Rector's Forum, uh, and, and that's going to be good. I hope that, and we'll we will. In the past, we've done um, different things, but I, I think what we will do, at least beginning with Lent, we'll do um, some. Bible study uh, like this. I think in Epiphany in the Rector's Forum, I'm going to do um, a, a, a series of, of epiphanies, uh, sort of stories of coming to faith uh, of the saints. So, um, but anyway, uh, yes. Well, I just I, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to be doing men's Bible study. So you you may have a, maybe not on Wednesday nights. We'll have to decide when that is. But um, uh, but let me say to the women, there are lots of great opportunities for women's Bible studies that are already bursting at the seams. And if those don't work for you, I will be happy to set it up and maybe even lead it. Uh, but I will just I, I, in order to create something like this, I, it just is right now. It's just too much. We may hopefully please Jesus get to a time where. Where I can do it, um, but it is it is. Yep, yep. I mean, again, we'll have the program in Lent, um, but but yeah. So, all right. So um, this is uh, we are at the end of, of Judges, uh, Judges seventeen to twenty one. Uh, I want you to imagine that you are what you've been watching a documentary uh, about a historic building. And uh, it was a once beautiful building, and in some sort of, uh, they've told the story, sort of time-lapse uh, photos maybe, of, uh, and you've just seen the story of the decay from the exterior. And uh, over the years, this, you know, the, the, the awning has ripped, and the paint has chipped, and the shutters have fallen off, and, and what, you can see the bones of something really wonderful and yet it's just sad because it's fallen into disrepair. You've seen buildings like this. So now the documentary says, all right, you think that's bad. Now we're going on the inside. And so we're going back in time a little bit. We're not going to say we've been over 50 years in this building. We're going to go back maybe that same 50-year period on the inside. Or at least we're going to go back in time and show you the deterioration on the inside, and then what you see is the interior um, deterioration. 
it sort of explains the exterior uh, deterioration and vice versa. I mean, you can see why the roof is caving in because the, the termites are eating in on the, you know what I'm talking about, right? So this is Israel. And we, in the book of Judges, we have seen the exterior deterioration over a period of years as Joshua brought the, the people in and said, uh, they said, we will be faithful. And then just over a series, there is no king in Israel. That's what we've seen over and over in Judges. And, uh, and we have seen that, that they just do not have the discipline. They do not have the faith. Uh, they, have not, they have not rooted out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. And they have, uh, like moths to flame, they have, uh, they have pursued these foreign gods. Just like Joshua said they would. And, and so it has been a, uh, a real tragedy, uh, in a sense. And the, the shutters have fallen off, the paint's chipped, and the awning is torn. Now, I mean, we see that really the, the manifestation of that in the life of Samson that we looked at. This sort of, this just, cra- I mean, I, I love looking at Samson. It is the craziest story. As it just makes me giggle to think about those foxes and the tails. But, um, but it is, uh, that it was the last judge that we see. And he dies. And there is virtually no faith. There is, but it is the beginning of, of the wedge between the Philistines and, uh, and the Israelites. God said he was beginning to deliver the people from Israel. Uh, but that, so the end of Samson really, in one sense, is the end of the story of Judges. And then we go, you could, you could read that and then go to Ruth and pick the story up. But what these, these chapters do is they go back inside the, the building and you can see the interior deterioration. You really get two episodes. So I've given you a little chart there. You get chapters 17 and 18. You get a strange story of a man named Micah. Uh, a Levite, which were sort of the um, priestly figures there, uh, and, and an idol. And you see in those chapters the religious deterioration. And then in chapter 19, uh, you hear this story of a different Levite, uh, presumably a different Levite, and he takes a concubine. And it, it's a, it is a, it's essentially the same story. Do you remember the story in Genesis with Lot and Sodom? It's almost exactly the same story. And he goes and, and gets this, um, his concubine has left. It's, it's kind of, they call it, he calls it his wife, but it's, it's really his property. And she leaves and he goes to, uh, so there's sort of marital, familial deterioration. He goes and gets her back from her dad. Uh, they, they spent several drunken nights together. And then, um, and then he's taking her on and he says, I'm not staying in, in Jerusalem. It's called Jabus. And he says, I'm not staying there. And, um, and you, you don't need to look at your, it's not on your, I'm just telling you about it. It's not, it's the, the scripture, this is in 19, chapter 19. Because we're really going to look at 17 and 18. But it's, um, so he says, I'm, I'm not staying with those foreigners. Like, we're going to our people. And so go, they go into a town called Gebeah, which is um, in, the, in the allotment, the allotted land for Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. And they come to where they're staying. They knock on the door and say, Give us the man we saw come in here. We want to know him. Just like they did in Sodom. And the man who is, uh, stay, who's, has brought them in says, Don't do that, but here, take his concubine. And they rape her all night long and she dies. 
Uh, and it, and that, what happens there is that results in civil war against Benjamin, against the tribes. So the tribes of Israel come against, and they basically wipe out the tribe of Benjamin. And then they say, oh no, well Israel can't be down, we can't be a, a tribe short. So there's a few hundred men that are, are left, and so they go and steal some other women and make, give them their wives. It is just, it's crazy. Um, so you see in there the, the moral and familial deterioration leading to social and tribal deterioration. The, the Israel, and of course the last line uh, is uh, that we have in the book, the last verse of chapter 21, in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The end. <laughs> it, is, it is dark and it is bleak. So... What we're going to focus on tonight is this uh, chapter 17 and 18, uh, the religious deterioration. I'm going to see what we get uh, from it. I, am, um, I think there's a lot uh, to say uh, to us. So let me begin reading that. Uh, there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse, and also spoken in my ears, Behold, uh, that silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Boy, I'm going to give you a whipping. No. She says, Oh, blessed be my son by the Lord. Isn't that weird? And he restored, he gave her back the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine. He made an ephod which is like a priestly garment, and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Of course, that's the same line we have at the very end of the book. Now, what is wrong with this? We have, a, I mean, obviously we have a, a guy who stole 1,100 pieces of silver. In our day, that would be a big sum. In their day, holy moly, that must have been, a, I must have been, you know, I don't know how big the pieces were, but it must have been a, a, a very handsome sum. And so he takes it from his mother, and then she said, rains down and calls a curse upon whoever took her silver, he hears that and gets a little afraid. So he doesn't say he's a, he has this pang of conscience. He's he's just doesn't want to get cursed. So he goes back and says, "Hey, mom, I'm the, I'm actually the, I actually got it right here." And she doesn't. There, there's no like time for reflection. Let's let's let, there's no discipline. I mean, we don't. I mean, he must be an adult. I mean, he, may, he ordained one of his sons, so he's probably her adult child. But it is um, there's just. There's no reflection. And he just, and she, but there's this, this strange, permissive, blessed be my son by the Lord. So she calls him on the name of the Lord, and yet she gives it to him to make a carved image and a, and a metal image. Now, it may not have been, it may have been fairly orthodox. It may not have been a, a Baal, an image of Baal. It may have been in some sort of image to worship the. God of Israel. She calls upon the name of the Lord, right? 
But he has already broken commandment number five, honor your father and your mother, and commandment number eight, do not steal, right? So then, to my estimation, whether or not it was an orthodox image, she is, uh, he's also now violating, at her behest, with the 200 pieces of silver, commandment number one, you shall have no God, other gods before me, and commandment number two, have no graven image. So, um, you know, like you think about the carved, uh, I mean, the golden calf. The golden calf could worship, I mean, could represent God's strength. This is a, obviously the golden calf is from um, Aaron and Moses in Exodus. But the, uh, it could represent God's strength. But when you focus on something like that, there's all sorts of characteristics of God that you automatically leave out. It is, uh, an, an image like that is going to be automatically heretical. Because it cannot cap, no image can capture the breadth and the fullness of God. There's no way an image like that can bring us into wonder and awe. When you make an image like that, inevitably it is something that you can control. And it is going, you're going to carve, when you use a carved image, you're going to carve out all these other attributes of God. That's the, um, now, some of you might be thinking, well, gosh, what about icons? And what about crucifixes and things like that? And Moving on. Um, no, the, um, I, I think we have to be careful, honestly, uh, with those things. I don't want to come out and say, I mean, because we're, we live in a New Covenant uh, time, and, and I don't want to say that, that those things can't be helpful. Uh, but I do think that those things have to be taken uh, with care to worship the Lord as He wants to be. Uh, worshipped. So, um, so it, religion, uh, Micah takes his religion, I mean, he's very religious, he, he, he just has taken it under his own supervision. As some, somebody said, you know, God made us in his image and we promptly returned the favor. You know, so uh, he, he has taken, who knows what he is thinking. We're not, we're not given the doctrine that Micah found, but inevitably, the place for worship was in, should have been in the temple. I'll, I guess they didn't have one yet, but the tabernacle. And then, um, and yet he brought it into his own home. He made his son the priest, the one who would sacrifice on his behalf, he, which means he took it upon himself in the um, sort of Aaronic um, Levitical line to, to bless and ordain his son as his, as his priest. Uh, he has co-opted of the very good concept of religion and he has bent it to its own, his own purposes. Now, how do you think, how do you see that that happens in our world today? What, give me, I mean, I, let's, let's take it for granted that it can. That we still are capable of using religion to serve our own purposes. How might we, <laughs> I guess there's a wry laugh over there. How might we uh, do that in our world today? <laughs> running for political office. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, I suppose. I suppose that that there is there could be someone who did that recently. Um, more than one. <laughs> more than one. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, listen. I I I, I was thankful uh, that I had moved from Alabama to Florida uh, this week. <laughs> um. 
Go ahead. It's taking a concept. Well, it's not a concept. It's, it's taking a belief that abortion isn't right and using that to, to degrade somebody who believes something else and emphasizing someone who doesn't represent it and saying, well, he'll vote against it and then we'll vote for him. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a greater activity than what what is what is meant mm -hmm. by it. Well, let's let's say it like this, uh, or I wonder I wonder if this gets to what you're talking about. Anybody who uses Christianity for their own power, right, and to say that God is on my side, therefore I must be exalted, has completely misrepresented Christianity because we win by losing. I mean, that is not very attractive. <laughs> it doesn't win political office very often. Now, certainly God raises people up, and we'll talk more about that. But, um, and, and listen, some people here may have been really excited about Roy Moore, and I don't want to say anything negative about you. But I, I do think that when we take, uh, we say, I'm going to bring God back to anywhere, the Episcopal Church, you know, then, then we are assuming that God isn't there. And the book of Judges actually says no matter how crazy and chaotic it looks, God is present. And, and it's up to him to move in his people. So, so that's, a, that's a really good example. Uh, I, I don't mean to get political, um, but I, I, I do think that's a good, a good example of somebody co-opting their religion for their own purposes. Okay, what else? Yes, Joyce. No, no. No, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yes. The TV and um, they have different uh, ways of enticing people to religion for their own personal gain. No, we're actually going to see that in, as we go further in this passage. But let me tell you, I mean, just. You know, I, I, I try to be real vulnerable in my teaching and my sermons, but part way so that you all who can know me really well can kind of keep my ego down. I mean, like fame, when you're up in front of people and you people are telling you how great you are, you believe your press. You know, you really, uh, you know, and so it's, it's so easy. It is. It's so easy to... to you know, when people are taking pictures of you and get writing you million dollar checks to write a book and smile real big on the front of it, and you know, you're listen. I think Joel Osteen's crazy. Don't you know? So I don't want you people reading that stuff. But I mean, let me just say, it's it is. I mean, he's a human, and and to say nothing of his terrible theology, um, I I think that um, that that the the uh, the temptation. Uh, is is always there. Um, I have a, a I wouldn't say he's a good friend, but he was an acquaintance, somebody actually that I really looked up to. Great theology, preached his own brokenness uh, in, in a way that I thought uh, it was almost embarrassing. Uh, how much he lifted up the grace of God in his own life, uh, and he lost his ministry because he had. An affair, and they tried to like be gracious to him, and they came out. Well, that wasn't his first. I mean, and like, and it just, it um, you know, he's preaching his own brokenness. God bless you. And he is, 
and, and then, you know, that's just what the human heart is capable of. He wanted to be famous. I mean, truly, he wanted to be famous. The guy was good looking. You know, like it just, um, and I just thank God that he, is, uh, he has blessed me to not be. So, um, the, the, <laughs> um, he had, well, yeah, listen, that guy had really good hair. Uh, and I don't. Um, all right, so, so, he, so this, this man, Micah, has ordained his own son to be his priest. Uh, or, and you can imagine it's more like his chaplain. You know, his, he's just his, his affirming, you know, he's just affirming him. What am I, <laughs> you're not going to feed me, Dad, if I don't tell you you're doing a great job. Okay, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing that he would ordain his son to be his priest. Now, there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah, verse 7, uh, of the family of Judah. To Be- he was a Levite, so he wasn't of the family. Of Ju- he was of the family of Levi, not of Judah, but he was living in that area. And he sojourned there, and so it means Bethlehem wasn't his place. And the man departed from the town of Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? He said, I'm a Levite, Bethlehem in Judah, and I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, well, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest. And I'll give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. I have access to 1,100. This will be a gig for a long time. Um, and the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will prosper me, because I have a Levite as a priest. What about his son? Yeah, that's a good question. Right? That's a good What about his son? His son wasn't a Levite. Go back to the fields, boy. Alright. So we have this displaced Levite. He's not serving in the temple. That's what the Levites did. They didn't they presumably was not serving the, the tabernacle. They didn't really have a temple. Um, I honestly, I don't know what happened to the tabernacle uh, between coming into the to Israel and this point before they built. I don't know. I mean, there's just no talk of it. There's no central. There's no central place of worship uh, in Israel. Um, and Micah hires this Levite to be his priest. Oh, that's better than his son because he's a Levite, right? And he says, now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as his priest. So he kicks his son, presumably he kicks his son out. It doesn't seem likely that he has two priests. He just says, well, I'd ordained my son, he was a chaplain, but now I've got, a, I've got a, somebody for hire. I've got a better one. And he has this really telling line at the end. Now I know that the Lord will prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. At its worst... Religion, what's that? He's a Joel Osteen. Ah, he's a Joel Osteen. Uh, um, I hope Joel doesn't listen to this. Um, he probably will. Uh, <laughs> um, at its worst, religion is humanity's attempt to get God to do what we want. At its worst, religion is humanity's attempt. To get God to do what we want. 
If I do this, then God will give me that. If I go to church every week, if I do the prayers the right way, if I cross myself the right way, if I um, say a certain number of prayers or whatever it is, then God will owe me a good life. It, you know, it used to be it used to just only make sense to me when people would invite people into a relationship with Christ. And I, I've told you, I come from a sort of evangelical background. It, it seemed like what they were saying was, your life is going to get so much better if you, uh, if you come to Christ. Give your life to Christ, and, and you'll have all, all you want. Political, I don't know what it was. But they, uh, your life is going to get so much better. And, um, and that's... I don't know about you, that's not the case. I mean, I do, I mean, you can enjoy, in some ways you can enjoy the blessings you have because you don't need them, you have Christ. Now you can enjoy the blessings as blessings. If you lose them, then you haven't lost everything because you still have Christ. That's great. But, I mean, I do think there's so much we gain, but we're not promised a better life if you act a certain way. That is works righteousness, right? And religion, it can be a wonderful thing. But it, can, it is, is that temptation of the human heart to turn in on ourselves and to say, well, if I do this, then God will owe me that. And we fall into this when something bad happens and we say, why me? How could you let this happen? How could a good God, how could you be good and let this thing happen to me, God? After all I've done for you, why me? I deserve better uh, than this. At its best, right religion, or we might say true faith, rather than attempting to get God to do what we want, gets us to do what God wants. Right? True faith gets us to do what God wants. That's, that's the point, <laughs> isn't it? And self-made religion, like Micah has, is always self-promoting. It's always self-serving. And, and it really is just up to us to see if, well, not if, but in what ways we have recreated God in our own image. And, to, and that's why Martin Luther said all of life is repentance. If you lose the awe of God, you, you do that? That's right. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, my sermon this week, I said I lost the awe. Well, why? Because I was doing this. You know, just gazing at my own navel and feeling sorry for myself. And, and so, you know, and I just... When I look up, then, I mean, I don't know how all that stuff's going to turn out, but God's going to, I know God is in control. You know, so, I mean, that's, you're right. I mean, it just is, is self-made religion is self-promoting, inevitably. And when we make idols out of things, I mean, you know, John Calvin, the great Anglican theologian, said, uh, not really, um, said, our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are idol factories. Make good things into God things, and we say, I mean, it's, it's all—it's inevitably a way to control, to get what we want, right? It's just—it's just what we do, and so our hearts are idle factories. It means we can take good things like religion, or we can take good things like family, or we can take good things uh, like sex or money or whatever these things that can be used for good. Things and we can turn them into God things and say, if I don't have that, then I will not be happy. If I lose this, then my life uh, is over. If um, if I 
if I just have Jesus and my job, then I can be happy, right? All sorts of things. Any, I think that Christianity, uh, Christian maturity, is not a graduation from one level to the next and sort of this accumulation, but it's actually tr- Christian maturity is a stripping away of everything we need besides Christ. And taking, identifying and repenting of the idols that we have. And so Micah has these gods that he has brought into his house and that he has sort of control of, and he really has a good thing going for his own life because he's got, he's got it all under control. It's all under his roof. It's just like he planned it. Yeah, key word, he planned it. Right. Well, we're going to see he's going to lose it all in just a minute. But seeing this in ourself, seeing in what ways we have self-made our religion, uh, and I don't, of course, I don't just mean our Sunday worship, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, in all the ways that we have um, sort of made a, made a deal with God, all the ways that we have um, said, God, if I'll do this, if you do that, if I do this, then you owe me that. Seeing all those things in our life takes incredible discipline, and prayer and a lot of repentance. You don't need to beat yourself up about it when you find those things, because we all do it. Doesn't mean you're a bad person, it just means you're a person. Right. Just means you're a person. God has bartered with people before. Yeah. 
Um, and nevertheless, I, I, I think that, and I don't think you're wrong for laying it out before God. Here are my fears. You know, can you pr- help provide in this way? I mean, that's going to be natural. God wants us to, to lay before Him the desires of our heart. That's not, that's not saying. You're but that's not, bartering. The, that's not bartering. Right. You're saying, hey, listen, this is where I am. This is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, either give me an inner peace or put me where you need me to be. I don't I'm going to start to cry. Yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry, I don't need to do this. But I really mm-hmm. feel that there's a spirit in you that guides you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And you will, if you, if you really believe it and you're sincere, that's where you will be. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think so. I mean, but again, that's we have to trust the Holy Spirit to be that guiding conscience, not our own, Correct. You know, our own heart. And that's that's the battle. And and it is the battle because I mean, you know, is it is it when something bad happens, is that the devil doing that, or is that the Lord? Doing, you know, like it's just a lot of, you don't know that until retrospect, and God's going to use the bad things to glorify Himself I had anyway. A so, that had a friend that had cancer. Mm-hmm. He said he is really, he's really struggling with this. He's like, why me? Why did this happen to me? And I was like, why not? Mm-hmm. What did he do that he was so special that he shouldn't have? Mm-hmm. He's like, I didn't think of it that way, mm-hmm. but it's like you know. I can't say why, but but I can't say what did you do that you don't deserve it either. Well, I, I think again, and I've said it before, and we're not we're not to the end uh, of this lesson. But I mean, I think what we see is that in the dark cir- circumstances, God is still at work. You know, that's that's what, to me that is the message of hope from the Book of Judges. In the darkest of circumstances, God is still in control. And he's still at work. Um, all right. Well, I, I, when I say we're going into the interior, what I meant, to, what I, I'm not sure I said, this is happening sort of concurrently. Um, we're not sure exactly when, but it, it's not after Samson because it's, it, it's in the same time between Deborah and Samson. It's just, it's in that. It's, it's not linear. It's not linear. Yeah, so Samson's kind of the end. Now we're going back and seeing, we've seen the leaders, we've seen the, um, the sort of geopolitical ramifications, and now we're looking at just kind of everyday life, this guy named Micah, and how, how it happens. Okay? Yeah? I think, the question is, I think, how long is it from yeah. chapter 1 to chapter 1? From the beginning, from Joshua to Owen and to Samson. Alright, to Samson. Samson. I think it's 150 years. I'd have to go back and look. My Bible says the period of time covered in the book of Judges total is approximately 400 years. Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, 400 years. 400, it's 400 years. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. He asked me what I think. I, th- I think she's wrong. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, that's right. All right, so in those days, there was no king in Israel. This is chapter 18. I, don't, I didn't put an 18 in there, but I meant to. The Danites take the Levite 
uh, and the idol. In those days, there was no king in Israel. In, and in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, you will see that the Danites, the tribe of Dan, from the, from, you know, of the 12 tribes of Israel, descended from Israel's son, Dan, um, that he, uh, they could never drive the people out. And they got pushed back up into the hills, and they became this sort of hill people, nomadic hill people. And, um, and now they're looking for a home. Presumably not the home that they were allotted. They're not still fighting for that land. They're just looking for a valley to grow some crops in. They're, they are the least, at this point in history, they are the least prestigious of the tribes. So Dan, what happens is Dan sends, the people of Dan, sends five spies uh, to go and spy, land, spy out the land that they're looking for, and they um, they meet Micah, and they meet the Levite, and they are sort of these five spies are taken with the the ephod and the idols, and it sort of recalls the earlier spy stories of Moses sending the spies and Joshua sending the spies. So I've so it fit on the page. I skipped a few verses there, but that's what happens. They send the spies in. So, verse 11, 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war. That's not a very big army. Right? Set out from Zorah and Eshtaol and went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, uh, that place is called uh, Mahanadan, something like that to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim, and came to the house of Micah. So they're just wandering around looking for a place to live. And the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, that's the 600 men, do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, carved image and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. And they turned aside there and came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah, and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, which I think that's kind of like it's supposed to be a joke, because it's just, it's just not, they're not very imposing. There's 600 guys. Uh, stood by the entrance of the gate, and the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, and the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with his 600 men armed with the weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? And they said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand on your mouth, and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man, or to be the priest of a tribe and a clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. And he got a book deal out of it. And he, took, and he took the ephod and the household gods and carved the carved image and went along with the people. So we see that the priest really had no allegiance to Micah. He's just looking for the best. Yeah, I mean, listen, again, it didn't make him a bad person. It just makes him a person, right? He's, um, but he's, he is just looking. He jumps at the better, more prestigious opportunity. 
But he's gotten farther and farther away from Bethlehem. Yeah, then they, he was a shoe in first round for Bishop. Yeah. Well, right. Right. Absolutely. By the Levi. I mean, that's what we're to, the priest. That's what we're. That's what we're to see. I mean, they. The, this is. He's the embodiment of the problem. Proverbs, chapter sixteen, verse eight says, "Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice." Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Go down just a little bit. Proverbs 16, verse 16, How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Um, So, we've already talked about it. I have in my notes here. Be skeptical of self-promoting ministers. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't raise up some wonderful ministers. But, uh, the, you know, you look at the Billy Grahams, or I, I think a guy like Tim Keller, I've mentioned him several times. I mean, these are men of unbelievable prayer. And their humility is hard fought. And they would be the first to tell you that fame causes all sorts of problems in their ministry. Uh, where those who don't have fame, peons like me, think, oh, if I could just get there, if I could just get there. And the whole thing is just saying, no, I'm never, you know, we just have to say that, Odin, I need you to say it to me. Like, you just need to say, no, I'm never going to promote it. If God wants to do that, He can do it. But i got to have people around me who will tell me the truth about myself. I mean, you just always have to have that. But what ends up happening is the people that are around, these people that are built up, they're afraid to tell them the truth and, and guide them in the right direction. Well, it's easy to gather around a bunch of yes people. I mean, you said it's, it's, it's uh, the people around them get to be, they're afraid to tell the truth. I mean, maybe they're blind to it, maybe they're just yes people, but... Um, well, they want to be on the coattails of somebody that dealt Well, it's just, I mean, again, I mean, the Christian, um, Christian humility is the mark of the one who is meant to be the leader. And that's all, that's all I mean, listen, I mean, I, I'm, I don't see myself as a particularly humble person. I mean, I, I just, I mean, it's hard fought. That's why every now and then God sees fit to throw a wrench in my plans, you know? Praise God. Yeah. Because our plans are not His plans. That's right. That's right. So the Danites, this tribe of Israel, they steal the idol and the Levite, they steal the priest from Micah. Micah loses everything that he's and, and it's interesting, I hadn't kept it in your, um, then you can go back and take a look at it, but I didn't put it on your sheet. Micah just says, what are you doing? And they said, we're taking your stuff. And he says, all right. And he goes home. I mean, that's really, that's all, that's all he can do. He doesn't, he doesn't have an army. Um, so the people of Dan took what Micah had made, the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish. That, so that's the city that they were spying out. Uh, and they were unsuspecting. They were quiet, and they struck them with the edge of the sword. They burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon, which that was the city that would have come to their rescue. And it was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rahab. I'm not sure what, about that. And they built, they rebuilt the city. They lived in it, and they named the city Dan. 
after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at first, and the people of Dan set up the carved images for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, that's the, that's the Levite, we finally hear his name, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land, so until the exile. And so they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. So they established this. This is the, this is the bleakness. This whole tribe of Israel established themselves under the worship of the false god and the priest who was easily bought. The Levites started at Bethlehem of Judah with nothing. Of course, we know, they wouldn't have known, but we know the history that Bethlehem became an incredibly prominent town. It was the city of David, and of course, that's where Jesus was born. He starts there with nothing. And he ends up far away from there, like Richard was saying, far away from God, uh, but as the chief priest of the wandering tribe of Dan. Position was bigger, but we are to see that he was much farther away from where he should be. And all through the story, we see that people are very religious, but they are not the least bit faithful. And um, so let me ask you this. If they felt this, they had this idol. I mean, this is their chosen religion. If they felt they had the idol, that it made them a better people, then what's the difference? I mean, if, if it does good in their life and they helps them to have stable relationships or a stable land or whatever, and it does good for them, what's the problem? God said don't do it. But that was their God. It's a false God. And we set up false gods all the time. We talk about religions being, you know, all religions are the same, or we want to respect, but they're not the same. Now, we can respect every individual as made in the image of God, but we, don't want to, we never want to say, and we want to love them, we want to respect and honor them, but we don't want to ever say that, that what we have is the same. Because we believe that we worship the one true God, and He has a Son, His name is Jesus. If your God doesn't have a Son, I mean, that's controversial, I understand. And I'm not trying to, again, I want to emphasize, we want to be gracious people. But... There's one God, and that's the testimony of Scripture. And when we step away from that and make God into what we want Him to be, I mean, God is more gracious than I am. I mean, far and away. And so He can He gets to do with those folks what He wants. But God is um, not to cannot be made in our image. But. One of the amazing things that I and I love the way this is sort of the confluence of the study. It's ending right in the middle of Advent because it is into the darkness that Christ sent His only Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. I mean, it was in the world is this. This is the world. This that the people of God have wandered from their God. They have not necessarily wandered from religion. Religion is a human characteristic. We see that in every culture. We create religion because we understand that there is something greater than us. But when God reveals Himself, there's a great story about a um, you know, there's an elephant and there's six blind men and one blind man comes up to the elephant 
Uh, but it, and he said he feels the trunk. He says, "Oh, this is this is a a hose." And one feels a leg and says, oh, this is a tree. And one says, oh, no, this is a wall. And they're all feeling the same thing, but they just call it different things. But what happens when the elephant says, I'm an elephant? <laughs> no, no, it's a wall. I can tell. No, I'm an elephant. You know, like, I mean, when, when the thing that is being sought after reveals itself, then we have to take it on its own terms. And when we're seeking after God, and God says to us, this is who I am, then we, uh, then we take God on His own terms. And God has said, uh, you, um, I love you too much to leave you in this situation, so I'm going to come down and do for you what you could not do for yourself. And this judges situations, very contemporary, crazy book, paints the picture into which God sent His Son to redeem us. I mean, we can look at, at what Micah, we can find ourselves in Micah's story. And we can find ourselves in the Levite's story. We can find ourselves in the Danites' story. And then we, good gracious, look at the next three chapters and it is like a horror film. And we just see what the human condition does. And that is why God came down to save us. That, that is why He had to be born into humanity rather than just appear. You know, I mean, you could think about it. Why didn't He just appear? He could just make Himself a man. didn't have to go through puberty and all that stuff. Why did He just appear? It's because He had to redeem all of humanity, right? He For all of the children who were abused, uh, all of the um, adolescents who have screamed at their parents, I mean, he, just, he has redeemed all of the human experience. That's why I had to live into it. And Judges just has this bleak, sad, in some ways, sort of dark humor, darkly humorous uh, existence that it paints for us. And we see our great need for an intervene, intervening mediator, um, a saving uh, divine son. So... Lois said, we have it. We have the mediator. They didn't have the mediator. And yet, look at our society. It's because it's our human, that we're still the same people. I heard a great, uh, I mentioned Paul Tripp in the sermon this week. And he says, he says, there's no such thing as a bad marriage. And I said that, I, I mean, I heard that. I was like, that doesn't make, what do you mean? He says, marriage is fine. The problem in, in the, it's not the, it's not that the marriage is bad. It's the people in the marriage. And then he said, there's no such thing as a corrupt government. And I, you know, at this point, you know where he's going. He said, the government's for the people. It's the people in the government who use the power for themselves. When you uncover it, what's at the bottom? It's us. There's no such thing as a dangerous neighborhood. A neighborhood has never, has never hurt anyone. It just sits there. Why? It's the people. It's the people in the neighborhood. What's the problem? We're the problem. Somebody, I think it was G.K. Chesterton, was asked in the middle of World War One. I, I may be getting my stories mixed up, but uh, they said, what is, what is the problem that has caused this? When you write, write a letter to, to, for the letter to the editor we can publish, what is the problem that has caused this, this awful war? And he wrote back, I am. 
<laughs> G.K. Chesterton. I mean, and that was such self-awareness. I, if anything um, starts, uh, if, any, if anything needs redemption that I have can, can speak to, it's myself. Yeah, I mean, it's a slippery slope. I yeah, mean, it's a fine line that can easily be crossed over. Well, I mean, in issues of, well, all sorts of issues. Politics, sexuality, I mean, just, just all and down the line. People in the church have vastly different opinions, especially our denomination. I mean, we have, we're such a broad, broadly, diverse, diversely minded uh, group. Uh, not as diverse as we used to be, but... But so, and, and so how do we do, what do we do with that? I mean, it's, and I think it is, it's why we have to always focus as best we can on the Lord. I do see in our denomination a real return um, to a Christ-centered focus and mission, which I think is, is great. I mean, I think Bishop Howard, but I mean, he's certainly not alone in that. I see that even in places where I would be surprised to see see that it's not it is um, it's wonderful to see that now I'm we're not to scratch too far below the surface find places we would disagree on some theology and I can say that's made in in uh, their own image but they could they could just as easily say that about me that I'm a product of my own background and that I believe what I believe because of where I come. you know so we just have to at that point we just say well we're not going to judge each other we're going to find what we bless about each other and we're going to go forward and Try to worship Christ and let Him sort it out for us. A lot of that is, is pray for each other. But it's you know that is not a you know for the pray for each other. Yes, I, I, I we can say from from the most conservative, the most liberal, to the most uh, liturgical, to the most free church that we all are capable of making God in our own image. And you can be very conservative. And very works oriented, very liberal, and very works oriented. I mean, it's you know, it, it, it's all about, to my mind, it's all about continually making God greater in our own hearts and minds. We pray every day about God taking the blinders from our eyes yeah. and the hardness from our heart that we may understand what His desire is. Mm -hmm. It's a good prayer. So lots to say. The Old Testament, I hope you really can see, I hope this gives you, some, if you didn't have it already, some courage to look in the Old Testament and find, I mean, Jesus is there. Jesus, there's, God is a good and gracious God. What kind of, how, what, what a gracious God to be, to have this craziness and not to say, you know, I'm just going to blow that, I'm going to just put the Death Star, just blow that thing up and just start all over again. Like, he just made, he is so gracious to redeem his creation. Um, rather than to destroy it. It's just, um, we have a, it's a good and gracious God. Gina, what were you going to say? Weeks ago you said something. You said that when the, I think you said, when the Israelites went out to battle, there's no count of their injuries or dead because they didn't have injuries and they didn't have dead people. Mm. 
I'd have to go back and look at it. it usually, what, what I said, I think what I said was it's almost always the Lord is the one who's doing the battle. That's what you said. Yeah. And, and it's, they don't usually end up in the fight. Now, there are some cases where they, they do end up in battle. And, um, and they fight themselves. This they, yeah, that's right. So, yeah. But actually, if you, if you go back and look at the, um, the last chapter, where, where they have totally uh, left the Lord, they go up to fight the Benjamites, Benjaminites, and the Benjaminites wipe them out on day one, and then they come back, lick their wounds, come back again to fight the Benjaminites, wipe them out on day two again. They come back again, and then they, but they have a plan this time, and they wipe out the Benjaminites. So they, so they are, um, uh, they have just basically decim- Israel has decimated itself, and so that's when they, they when they're fighting, they're fighting each other. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say there was no casualty. You know, in, in his, you know. I don't want to say there's no casualties in their war. That, that wouldn't make much sense. Unless the Lord is the one who's going before them. Good question. Thanks for listening. So, I guess we'll just end up with a prayer. More, we've got a whole another minute. <laughs> 728. Yeah, we do have a patient Lord, don't we? He is so patient. Towards. Probably why there's no record of injuries and, and deaths is because that was not important. How many people died during those battles? Well, they do report, report what's important. I mean, you're right about that. And so, so when they do report their losses, it's it's the there's a lesson to be to be learned there. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay. Lord, we thank you for your uh, word. Thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for those who have uh, seen this study through faithfully. We pray, God, that it would bless them, bless each of us uh, to have confidence uh, in you and confidence in your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you'll have a wonderful...